You're listening to The Dealmaker's Edge with A.Y. Strauss. Diving deep into stories behind commercial real estate leaders. The Dealmaker's Edge highlights the stories, struggles, and successes behind major commercial real estate investors. You'll get a behind the scenes look at commercial real estate leaders and their unique edge. We hope you'll follow along for regular episodes, highlighting exceptional voices of the commercial real estate industry and beyond. Today, I'm joined by Ross Cooper, who is the president of Kimco, which is a publicly traded REIT on the New York Stock Exchange. It's been public since 1991. Headquartered in Jericho, New York, Kimco has over 94 million square feet of gross leasable space, over 550 shopping centers. They are North America's largest publicly traded owner and operator of open-air, grocery-anchored shopping centers and mixed-use assets. Ross, we're delighted to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm president and the chief investment officer. I've been uh, with Kimco since 2006. I I really started as a junior analyst in the acquisitions department, going sort of door-to-door with my fellow analysts and other dealmakers and just really figuring out the business, understanding open-air retail, volunteering to do as much as I could with my colleagues, help them with their due diligence, help them with their deal making, and and really just learn and grow from there. I took an opportunity within Kimco in 2009 during the the great financial crisis to to move down to South Florida and get more involved in the operations of the business. Started doing some leasing, asset management, overseeing all the rent collections for the Southern region, which as you can imagine during the the GFC was a a full-time job in itself. Uh, and then as the market, the capital market started coming back, the investment uh, community started getting more comfortable again with retail, I, I jumped back into the, the deal-making side of things. And uh, back in 2015, relocated uh, to New York to our headquarters and took on a more national role. Uh, and I've been back here ever since. And it's been quite a, quite a wild ride just in the last five years or so being back between the, the retail apocalypse, so to speak, in 2016, uh, and then sort of moving forward into what was a, a really nice recovery for the company right up until the pandemic and dealing with everything that came from that. And now being in a place where retail, open air retail in particular, is really back in the minds of lots of investors and and uh, has really shown its utility through this pandemic. Uh, we feel that we have the wind at our backs a little bit in the retail world. There's always, you know, some surprises ahead of us. So we're just being uh, extremely disciplined in our investment strategy, but we're seeing a lot of demand for our product, and uh, we're really excited with the market that we're in today. So we'll, we'll see what uh, the rest of the year brings and what 2022 brings ahead. Yeah, it's fantastic. I know just as a stock price pop over the last year. It's really a uh, testament to all the hard work you've been doing. And the cream always rises to the top. You know, Quality assets, quality management, quality oversight, quality governance, that reflects. You know, Even in retail, which has had its name and lights for different reasons, people flock to quality. And obviously, being grocery anchored and necessity-based has been fantastic. Talking about the fundamentals, obviously, we can avoid the, the broader pandemic headlines. I think people have sort of heard enough of that. But the fundamentals of retail investing today are you seeing it's a good investment market? Are you being a little more conservative? You're constantly in acquisition mode and you've got a lot of capital behind you, but but tell me about how you view the market over the next year or two generally for acquisitions. It's a really nice time for us to be strategic, to be disciplined, but to be aggressive where it makes sense. And I mentioned the great financial crisis. From my perspective and from the company's perspective, there were lots of lessons learned during that downturn that we pulled forward and utilized to our advantage during the pandemic. I mean, obviously, it was an awful you know, period of time for a lot of reasons. Uh, and I'm not going to downplay that, but there were some silver linings for the company in particular. 
dating back to the, the GFC back in 2008, 2009, frankly, the company was not well positioned to withstand such an incredible downturn. The balance sheet was not where it needed to be. We had too much leverage going into the unexpected crisis, and we played a lot of defense. And frankly, for the last seven or eight years post the recession, Kimco was really building itself back to a position of strength. It was a very long recovery from the recession up until the pandemic. And we knew that at some point there was going to be another downturn, clearly didn't anticipate that it was going to come in the form of a a global pandemic. But at some point, there was going to be another downturn. It is a cyclical business. So what we really did over that seven, eight-year period was strengthen ourselves. We exited a lot of the non-core markets. Uh, We didn't feel had the supply demand dynamics long-term for retail that were to our benefit. We sold a lot of assets. We paid down a lot of debt to make sure that we had a substantial amount of liquidity so that when this next downturn did come, whichever form it ultimately presented itself, we would be in a position of strength to play offense. So when the pandemic did hit, we had our utmost liquidity, actually the the most liquidity available to us in the company's history. You can call it better lucky than, than good sometimes, but we had just renewed our revolving credit facility, which was a $2 billion facility in February of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so right before the pandemic started. So we had full access to that to that balance sheet. And we tried to be very opportunistic uh, in the early, early days of the pandemic. We started a structured investments program where we were putting out preferred equity and mezzanine financing on high quality retail assets that needed some, some funding for one reason or another. Uh, and we were able to to obtain a right of first refusal on those assets so that if and when the owner ultimately looked to sell, it would potentially be an acquisition pipeline for us going forward into the future. And then we we were working for many years, actually, on, on a uh, acquisition, a merger of another one of our peers based in Texas. Those conversations began back in 2017. They were on again, off again for a couple of years. As you can read in the, you know, the, the publicly filed proxy materials, there's a whole background section that sort of outlines you know, some of that back and forth. But one of the you know, silver linings of the pandemic for us was that we were able to use that financial strength that I previously mentioned to finally move forward and, and to acquire that, that other public company called Weingarten Realty. Uh, so we actually just closed on that acquisition in, the, in early August of 2021. So we now have an additional 160 shopping centers, really great, great assets throughout the Sun Belt, mostly grocery anchored. Uh, we were able to, to onboard about 100 new employees from Weingarten, really great people in, in all facets of our business, additional leasing people, property managers, developers, legal, accounting, et cetera, it goes on and on. So we're, we're really excited about the position the company's in right now. And, and frankly, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish that if we hadn't prepared ourselves based upon what we had learned the last time around. Really exciting story. And the timing couldn't have been better, as you described. And the preparation. Talk to me a little bit about the Sunbelt. Obviously, I know you're doing some large JV deals there. You're, you're really active there. A ton of capital is, is there. And it may not have been where you traditionally played. Obviously, you're based in uh, Jericho, New York. You've done deals nationally. But talk to me about the Sunbelt generally and what your strategy is there. I know you're getting very active. And we have been active in the Sun Belt. I would say, you know, one of the, the benefits of Kimco as an organization is we're very diverse. So we have geographic diversity in our properties. We own now over 550 shopping centers with this new acquisition located throughout the major MSAs throughout in the US. So top 20 markets 
from east to west coast, including certain parts of the the central part of the country, Texas, uh, assets in Denver, Phoenix, a little bit in in Chicago, Minneapolis. So we've always been diverse in our geography. We've always been very diverse in our tenant base. When you look at our, our largest tenants, you know the TJX companies is just over just around four percent of our total average base rent or annual base rent, I should say. You know, followed by Home Depot and then you know a lot of grocers and other A credit tenants. So we, we've always pride ourselves on having that diversification, which is so important in retail. But when you look at the the demographic shifts that are happening in this country, you think about the the lifestyle and the. I would say some of the disposable income in some of the markets throughout the Southeast, there's a real story to be told. You know, I mentioned I, I lived down in, in South Florida for six years and covered the Southeast of the country for, for Kimco. And, and I could see firsthand what was happening in some of those markets throughout the Carolinas. You look at Charlotte, you look at the Research Triangle, you look at South Florida, you know, Central Florida and Orlando, Tampa on the West Coast of the state. There, there's a lot of exciting things happening in that part of the country. And that's not to say that we're not bullish on the recovery in New York, and, and we're always going to continue to see the benefits of living and investing in California and the Pacific Northwest and the, the supply constraints that you see in a lot of those markets. But with where we are today, and it's not just retail, you look at all asset classes, whether it be industrial, multifamily, you know, self-storage, the Sunbelt is, is a very hot market for good reason. For all the obvious reasons, for sure. Tell me about the things that are not sort of the retail story. I mean, the, the preferred and mez space you've gotten into, I'm pretty sure is centered around retail. That's your core strength. But I know that certain properties sometimes get redeveloped. You're not really in the redevelopment business per se, but there's interesting joint ventures on the periphery. How much are you dipping your toes into things that are outside of the traditional sort of core Kimco deals? That's very much a huge focus for the company. We, we, we do pride ourselves on our, our redevelopment and our development capabilities, uh, we have staffed up over the last five or six years with a, a significant amount of really, really high quality developers. And it, and it starts from the dirt. The way that our process works is we have dedicated employees that are focused entirely on entitling our asset. So we view ourselves while our expertise is retail, we're a real estate company. And we own a lot of properties throughout the country, as I mentioned, that were built in some cases in the 1950s and the 1960s in these dense infill locations where we've seen these cities grow up around us. And we're still, in many cases, sort of the last single-story retail shopping center with 75% of our you know, parking fields that are non-income-producing surface parking lots. And you have high-rises and density all around us. We have very much focused our real estate on highest and best use. We have over 5,000 multifamily units entitled throughout our portfolio. We have another 5,000 in the works being entitled uh, that should be active in the next few years. When you think about what the future of Kimco is, it's going to be a combination, uh, always again, at our, at our core, open-air retail and primarily grocery-anchored retail. But very selectively throughout the country, we've been activating mixed-use projects where we can bring to that property a multifamily component. We can bring to that property a hospitality component or an office component, whatever the the case may be for that real estate, but we're going to do it in a very selective way. We may put some capital, Kimco capital into these projects with a joint venture partner that has that expertise in multifamily or hospitality. We've done a significant amount of longer term ground leases with hotel developers, office developers, multifamily developers. We have contributed some of our our dirt into partnerships in order to effectuate some of these projects. 
And in some cases, we've just sold off the dirt and retained the retail so that we sort of get the benefit of that non-retail use while still maintaining the, the core retail component, which is our bread and butter. Great answer. And it's continue to innovate and obviously keep your uh, your investment thesis strong, which is continuing to add the highest and best use. And it's clearly coming through with the investor community. Tell me a little bit about your edge. You've got a lot of responsibility. Relatively young guy, you got a personal life, you got a professional life. You've got a lot of capital that's watching, you know, how you're managing day to day, how you're uh, the governance at Kimco. I, I believe you guys have had a great reputation, great run for a really, really long time. How are you sort of managing that that pressure is having so much responsibility. Obviously, you have a great team. You've been there a long time, you've grown up in the business, but it's a stressful role. I mean, how are you sort of managing that day to day? I'd love to hear. You said it, it's the team. When we think about what Kimco is and you know the company that was established in the 1950s, it's all about culture. And a lot of what we do is about communication. In the midst of the pandemic, you know, it was it was pretty terrifying early on, not knowing how a company of our size and our scale could manage through you know, a situation where people were all working from home. And, and I give a ton of credit to our entire team, our IT department. First day of the pandemic, you know, everybody was mobile and working from home. We have our, our cell phones, we have our iPads, we have our laptops. And what's, it's incredible to think that you know, the communication actually strengthened over the pandemic, which was not a, a given at the early stages. So I, I've been fortunate that you know, I, I sort of grew up at the company and I had a lot of mentors that really helped me get to where I am. And I try to pay that back as best as I can. And, and one of the things that we do at Kimco is that for every single new hire that comes into the company, and as I mentioned, we, we just onboarded 100 new employees from Weingarten via our acquisition, every single new employee has a mentor. So it is so important for us to align new people with people that have been at the company for a while. Because culture is something that we feel so strongly about here. And it's hard to teach that, especially in an environment where people are still remote or, or hybrid or whatever the case may be. So it's really all, it's all about the team. And, and I you know, have such great people that, that work with me on my team that make it so that you can sort of take a step back and let some of these processes play out, you know, empower the people that you work with to make decisions so that it doesn't all fall on your shoulders because it can be overwhelming if you try to take on too much at the same time. And, and I've just taken uh, on a, a role and, and sort of an attitude of, of trying not to get too high or too low at any given point because uh, it is a cyclical, cyclical business. And you know, right now we feel that we're in a great place as an organization, but not too long ago, we were dealing with all the stresses of the early stage of the pandemic. And I'm sure at some point in the not too distant future, there's going to be something, some other challenges that we're going to have to deal with. So you try to uh, enjoy the wins when they happen, but know that there's going to be you know tougher times ahead that you just kind of have to battle through. Yeah, really well said. And besides that open, honest communication, if I were to guess, I would say probably humility must be a core theme in your culture. Just listen to you speak. Would you describe the culture in any other way? Any other adjectives you think that'd be applicable? You know, for, for me personally, I think responsiveness is so important. And it's it's such a simple thing, but you just don't see it from everybody. I sort of pride myself on getting back to people very quickly, whether it's you know a phone call, an email, a text message, 
if you reach out to me, even if I don't have the answer for you, or it's not something that I can attack on that given day, just a simple like, hey, got your message, you know, I'm looking into it, I'll be back to you. It goes such a, a long way. And, and I find that not everybody does that. And it's just something that I've sort of taken as a calling card for me. And, and I try to impart that on, on the people that I work with. It's, it's little things like that, that I think really go a long way. Yeah, well said. Same with me. It drives me crazy if uh, I can't get back to somebody soon enough because it shows you care. You, you can't fake caring. You obviously care deeply and passionately what you're doing every day. Next question I have for you is somebody, a new graduate, maybe they've been in real estate or some other field for a couple of years. They want to break into to retail. They'd love to get into the shopping center business. They managed to squeeze into your schedule for half an hour for coffee. You know, What types of things are you telling that person who's looking to build a career as an owner investor over time? I think it's just being open-minded and, and being willing to, to do things that are maybe not overly comfortable. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I have conversations with, to, to your point, young people that are in undergrad or graduate programs that reach out to me you know, on, on a complete cold call or email me cold, probably don't anticipate getting a response. And I'll get back to them in a day and, and say, hey, happy to chat with you. And you know, let's put something on the calendar. We'll, we'll catch up. And it, it was probably very challenging for that person to actually take that step. But I think at the end, it, it's not necessarily going to result in a, in a job offer at Kimco. Or, but if I can give a little bit of you know, my experience or put them in touch with somebody else that maybe does have an opening that works, it's really just having that open door mentality and, and that open-mindedness. You know, for, for me at Kimco, starting in, in 2006 as the most junior person in the organization, it's pretty daunting to even think about, you know, how do I get from where I was then to where where things stand today? And for me, it was just kind of putting your head down and, and taking it one day at a time and being willing to to take opportunities that maybe weren't what you anticipated. I, I didn't plan on taking a position with the company in 2009 in South Florida while my wife is from there and she has family there. So it, it worked out nicely for us. It was not part of my quote unquote plan, but I sort of jumped at that opportunity when it presented itself. It, it enabled me to learn a different part of the business than I had experience with on the operations side. And then having sort of that well-rounded knowledge when our CEO, now CEO, Connor Flynn, uh, reached out to me and asked me to move back to, to New York, I jumped at that opportunity, even though I started to really love living in South Florida and could have seen myself really establishing my life down there. But being flexible and, and knowing that taking that next step was important for my career is sort of a piece of advice that I would I would definitely give to to others. For sure. Yeah, I think yes, you did the reverse. You came to New York, you know, when everyone else went to Florida, but you're still buying yeah. it down there. So it's the same. Well, thing. maybe one day I'll be back. Like I said, you never know what the future holds. Any laser focus goals for the next year ahead? I mean, obviously there's a lot of blocking and tackling. Just getting the core business executed and day-to-day is massive. But if you had to focus one on one thing over the next year, you have one thing resonating in your mind. Yeah, it's a good good question. I mean, I haven't thought about one year ahead. We we try, and, and one of the nice things about our, our company, and I would say our management team in particular, we, we have a pretty young team. Our CEO is in his early 40s. I'm just about 40. Our COO uh, also early 40s. So we, we try to talk longer term. It's so easy to get caught up in the quarter to quarter you know, reporting, particularly as a public company, we, we're releasing our earnings in a couple of days. And then, you know, as soon as that's done, we start working on the next 90 day cycle. Uh, and that's basically what we're judged on. And that's our report card is our stock price. But our real estate is a, a, a real living and breathing thing that 
needs some nurturing and oftentimes will not reach its full potential for many years to come. So one of the things that we talked about with our redevelopment program, it's not thinking about what does our portfolio look like next year? Granted, we're making daily decisions that impact that, but we just put out uh, earlier this year our 2025 goals. And we've put out ESG goals for the company that are 2030, 2040, 2050. So as, as important as it is to make good quality day-to-day decisions, we're, we're trying to look at our portfolio as what can it be 10 years from now? What could it be beyond that? And I think that's important as a real estate investor, if that's what your strategy is. There are people that are, are building to sell and, and they're very focused on the here and the now. Uh, we're, we're as much focused on the here and the now uh, as we are with what things look like down the road. Yeah, well said, Ross. And no, no question that that leadership, you know, in environmental, social, and governance, your investors are in the world are paying attention to that. And clearly, going after the highest and best use, having the focus you have, data execution, it's it's really a, a great story that has many, many years ahead of it to watch unfold further. But anyway, I want to thank you for being on this morning. It was a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for joining the Dealmaker's Edge. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating so more people can follow the conversation.